Welcome to the fourth episode of Earwig Serials. I'm your host, Tyler McNamara, and for the next 36 episodes of Season 1, I'll be reading from my book, The Mother of Darkspace. Previously on The Mother of Darkspace. The home screen was replaced by the caller's video. It wasn't Evermore. The young man looking out had green eyes and mousy brown hair that fell into his eyes as soon as he began to speak. I'm high, she thought. This is a bad time to be tested. Yet her voice said, Ashley, I'm at the Martian South Pole in Casma, Australia, waiting for a storm to break. This first section is a personality evaluation so I can gauge if we would be a good fit for each other. I'm sure we'd be a good fit, she said. The question, who do I look up to? Um, Victoria Krellinger. But when I showed it to Deborah, my mom, and told her I wanted to be a scientist, basically she said I wasn't smart enough. Dr. Dahlia, this call is no longer being recorded. But what about the compatibility test? I'm more concerned about what my boss will think of me for letting you get so far off topic. Ashley nodded. Really, an artist and a scientist. Even my painting was scientific. Each piece was a hypothesis. I've been so focused on the future, I've forgotten why I chose to be a scientist in the first place. I knew it had something to do with Krellinger. But it was her art, her freedom of expression that attracted me, not her fame. I was hoping he wouldn't realize I was that Dahlia. During her junior year at the University of San Diego, Evermore was accused of biosynthesizing a human in the state of California. Of course he remembers you, Ashley said. Why do you think he sent you the application brochure? I... I kind of assumed it went out to everyone on Mars. He shook his head. But what's Evermore like in person? You'll see for yourself when you meet him. Evermore looked straight into the camera. I believe there is no cost too high that I would not pay it to save humanity. Ray felt like a fool for acting so loose with Ashley, and ashamed for manipulating his male weakness. He seemed so sweet and charming, and she had taken advantage of him. Maybe I'm wrong, though. Who knows what kind of asshole he's become now that I'm sober. Maybe he deserved it. Chapter 3. Red Rover Ray The more Ray thought about it, the more she realized she'd made a goddamn fool of herself in front of Ashley, and ruined any attempt at getting the job. She had distracted him and hadn't completed the interview. She'd even convinced him to stop recording her, which was clearly part of the test. Her omni chimed with a text and awakened her from her loathing. A. Manfield. All staff suit up and report to the hangar. The storm has passed and I want everyone's help digging out the rover. R. Dahlia. On my way. Ugh, I feel like shit. Ray had the women's locker room to herself. Not for the first time. I guess there are some perks to being the only woman at the South Pole. Once inside the EVA suit, her sluggish movements could be blamed on the lack of mobility and her heavy eyelids hidden behind the reflective glass. In the hangar, Dr. Manfield handed them each a sublimating tool that Ray half expected to shoot fire, but it turned out to be a glorified leaf blower. As she thought about it, flames, or even blowing hot air, would vaporize some of the CO2, but some of it would liquefy and leak deeper into the rover. Around the 40-minute mark, as the ice sample storage compartment was almost freed from the frost, Ray's Omni rang. The heads-up display projected a notice directly onto her face shield, call from Cantor and Jansen Labs. I keep hearing a clicking. Is someone getting a phone call? Dr. Manfield complained in her ear. Yes, from Can-J. I thought it was you, actually. Well, Dahlia, take a break and see who it is, Manfield demanded. Stepping away from the hangar, out into the pre-dawn light, which lasted all day this time of year, Ray couldn't help but admire the frozen landscape of Casma Australe. Hello, she answered, looking up past the walls of ice that projected their tiny lab. 
The alien constellations that made up the Martian night sky were replaced by the round pink face of Dr. Clyde Kander projected on her helmet glass. He carried heavy bags under his eyes, and his brown hair was starting to blonde as it grayed. Dr. Dahlia, he said, I hear that you've been talking to Evermore Industries. Ray couldn't believe it was really him. Dr. Kander, I'm so sorry, she began. He cut her off. Don't be sorry. I know all about Evermore and his antics. He and I were once friends, and he still finds it amusing to meddle with Jansen and me. That twelve-story lab, for example. Ray tried to listen to him ramble on about the many times Evermore had put roadblocks in his way. But her mind soon drifted to how she was going to keep her job. At the first break in his monologue, she said, Dr. Kander, I meant no disloyalty. I assumed they sent me the application by mistake. I only filled it out to pass the time and indulge some childish fantasy. I'm sorry. Kander nodded, not entirely satisfied by her apology. I can't pretend that my pride isn't hurt, that K&J isn't your dream job, but I understand the temptation. You've been working for years to end up at our world's renowned synthetic bioengineering lab, and just when you think you got it, you find yourself down at the South Pole doing lab work an intern could handle. Then some has-been doctor comes along and offers you an exit. The endless sky above her no longer beckoned with a siren song of freedom. Instead, it reminded her how small and insignificant she was. She fucking hated this feeling. Her fists clenched, but she forced herself to remain civil. I was just indulging a fantasy. I didn't accept the job. So he did offer you a job? There was a hint of worry in his voice that gave Ray a rush of confidence. Yes, they offered me my own lab. And you turned them down, he seemed relieved. That is a smart choice, Dr. Dahlia. Evermore Industries is a new business built on old ideas. That's a bad combination and a risky investment, don't you think? I've heard Mars is a terrible place to end up homeless. Ray's first reaction was to assume he was threatening her livelihood, but his features and his tones suggested he was making a casual observation. Casual. Wait. Why is Clyde Kander, the head of K&J Labs, making this call? Why am I worth his time? She asked him as much. Kander suddenly looked guilty, then embarrassed. I guess I'm still playing my part in that old rivalry. Our HR department could lay out the extent of your contract. They could tell you the exact amount K&J has invested in you thus far, and let you know how much you owe us for the trip back to Neely Terradome. Dr. Heideke never shut up about the space elevator fees. Once, he noticed she was wearing eyeliner and scolded her for bringing too much unnecessary weight. But, Kander continued, my HR department would be unable to warn you about Evermore. They don't know what kind of man he is, or that. Ray could see there was something he didn't want to say, but would. She waited. He's been watching you since the Synthetic Man trial. He saw something in you then. Even though you were against him, he was impressed. Evermore told you this? I'm sure you are aware that we used to be partners. During the trial, he would sometimes forget that I was the one who blew the whistle on him, and act like he did back when we were friends. Or maybe he didn't forget, and he was trying to manipulate me to side with him. He is a man constantly looking for opportunities to leverage the situation. Also, HR wouldn't have been able to warn you there's a good chance he's interested in more than just your synthetic bioengineering skills. Ray shivered with disgust. What is that supposed to mean? Kander shook his head. No, no, nothing like that. After you think of what Victoria Krellinger achieved, what's the next name that comes to mind? Automatically, Ray said, NMC Labs. Kander nodded. Exactly. They go together like Aldrin and NASA. What does that have to do with me? Kander's features softened. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're the kind of person who likes recognition based on their merits. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if Evermore will try to use you as the new face of Evermore Industries. Not because you're a talented scientist, 
but just because you're a woman. How about we put this evermore nonsense behind us and talk about shortening your time down there? A text popped up in the corner of her display. A. Rafariel. Dr. Dahlia, I spoke with Evermore. Please forgive my lack of professionalism during the interview, but I wanted to let you know that the job is yours if you want it. What the fuck is going on? Ray was silent for a while, spinning the puzzle around in all dimensions. She turned back toward the hangar. The geologist was pointing in her direction and arguing with Dr. Manfield about something. Dr. Dahlia, what are you looking at? What's the matter? Kander asked. I think they need my help with the rover. Kander's blonde-gray eyebrows knit together. I'm sure they'll manage without you. What's really on your mind? You put words in my mouth before, and now I feel as if I've been untruthful. I never said that I turned Evermore down, just that I didn't give him an answer. He looks surprised, maybe even betrayed. But your contract with us! I understand, she nodded, nearly knocking her forehead on the helmet glass. And I don't want to break our agreement, but you'll have to provide me some flexibility on your end. Perhaps we can bend it. Dr. Dahlia, I'm not... Please, Dr. Kander. Set me up with a K&J lab room back at Neely, and I'll continue my core sample analysis on nights and weekends until I've paid you back for your investment in me. He shook his head. Is that disappointment or remorse, she wondered. I would have done the same thing, Kander scoffed, and shook his head again. His eyes were looking elsewhere, someplace far away. I did the same thing. I did backflips for that man, but that's his gift, Kander returned to the present. Take some time to think about your next move. I believe you're due for a week here at the Terradome. Please, make your decision before that week is up, and please consider the things I've told you. Be careful, Dr. Dahlia. Everett is the kind of man who has a reason behind every action. Thank you, Dr. Kander, and I'm sorry for all of this. Kander accepted her apology with a tired nod and hung up. Finally, the day arrived when her savior descended from the heavens on a ribbon of incredible strength. It took the form of a teardrop-shaped freight elevator ten meters in diameter. One end of the elevator's ribbon was anchored deep in the crust of the red planet, and the other end led upward and out past Mars's gravitational pull and was connected to a thrust-assisted counterweight station. From there, a small cargo shuttle would take her and their ice samples to Phobos, and then to the surface of Mars via the Skylon D-4 spaceplane. Ray had cleaned her room and packed her things the night before, and out of the twelve kilograms of stuff she had brought out here, she was only bringing back her Omni and the clothes she was wearing. Everything else was tossed into the garbage chute and vaporized into its base elements, including a small, carefully folded piece of aluminum foil. Ray had stared at it for a long time before throwing it away. She wanted so badly to experience the joy she should be feeling, but she had lost it somewhere between the fear, doubt, and myriad forking possibilities. She had unwrapped one fold, but then she thought of Ashley. I want to meet him when I get back to the dome, but this time I really want to meet him. Ray felt her heartbeat quicken as the moving walkway carried her to street level. The breath of the pterodome rolled down the passage and brushed the loose hairs from her face. Nile pterodome smelled just as it had the first time she had arrived. The primary scent was part doctor's office and part pottery studio, followed by a bouquet of jungle, photosynthesis, and spring rain. Stepping off the end of the walkway, she waited through a crowd of University of Mars students listening to their professor. Reliant on local materials, the buildings in Neely Fosse are built from compressed bricks of Martian clay. Here, near the edge of the dome, is one of the only places in the city where the dark red rammed earth and clay wall is visible. The students followed their professor's extended finger to the top of the three-story high wall that encircled the city and provided the foundation for the dome. The city of Nile had been a mere seven years old when Ray first arrived. Some of the buildings had yet to be plastered, 
and the new parts of the city looked very much like a 17th century mill town until midway through her senior year. The professor continued, It is here that the clash of old and new technology is most apparent. The Nile Terradome was built with 98% local materials, which were provided by clay deposits on the floor of the trench. Even the very dust was used, heated to great degrees in ferrite furnaces, and protruded into white-hot webs of a strong, light, and thin material called polycarbon, a misnomer as it contains neither polymers nor carbon, but is more akin to a ceramic graphene. The polycarbon he was talking about composed the hexagonal armature that gave the multi-million screen simulated environment its structure. As one looked out across the city, the virtual environment made the pterodome appear as if it were situated beneath a crisp blue sky somewhere in the Alps. Ray had hated the simulation at first. Or maybe she just hated that it had confused her for a moment the first time she emerged from this corridor. But here and now, after three months at the Martian South Pole, living in a room barely larger than a coffin, returning to the simulated blue skies of the pterodome felt like coming home. A student's hand raised hesitantly, and when called on, he asked, what about the other two percent? Ray slowed her pace to the crowd to hear the answer, though she already knew it. She had been ten years old when humans first landed on Mars. There were so many nights she had spent lying awake trying to imagine what it would be like to land on a planet knowing you would never leave, and what it would feel like to have your life and the lives of your team depend on how well your resources were managed. The entire mission was broadcast live on the internet, and Ray watched it so fervently that she started measuring her conservation of energy. If Andrea Stanson, the first woman on Mars, could spend 1,500 calories digging a well for six hours, Ray could conserve her energy by walking everywhere very slowly. It got so that she was confining herself to the same 1,500-calorie diet and spending calories like a frugal child spends their allowance. This didn't make her any friends, and once her teachers noticed her obsession with dieting, the school psychologist begged her to quit. The professor said, This question is really the core concept of this class. Everything you see that isn't from here was brought here. The 2% exotic materials found in the dome were recycled from the one-way colony ship commissioned by the United Nations Space Administration and built cooperatively by its member nations. While the dome couldn't have been constructed without materials from the colony ship, namely the honeycomb of stratosphere plates, the mission and preceding construction wouldn't have been possible without the missions that preceded it. The underground bunker hand-dug by the Mars One crew and the Chinese centrifuge station on Phobos. The professor was just getting started, but Ray had no desire to audit the class and continued on her way through the crowd. She waded her way through the traffic jam of automated rickshaws the UMAR students had left piled beside the charging station, climbed into one of the few that weren't gridlocked, and said, Home. You will reach your home in three minutes, it told her. As the rickshaw turned down the main road, the light of the sun hit her face from just above the edge of the Pinane Alps, and she almost immediately felt better. In reality, the sun was an average of 230 million kilometers away, and was nearly half the size when it set in a subdued bluish-gray behind the wall of the Nile Fosse trough. The rickshaw turned down Long Street in the direction of her apartment, and Ray realized there was nothing for her to do there. It was early in the evening, and she had enough water credits built up from her time at Chasma Australi that she could actually fill the bath. But at the same time, she felt so anxious about the decision between Evermore and Candor that she didn't want to be alone inside her tiny, empty apartment. No, nothing empty. It was Friday night, and even though most of the scientists worked seven days a week, she knew the bars would be crowded, as would the theaters, cabarets, and casinos. People went to the casinos to meet people, but she wanted to be alone in a crowd. The bar closest to her apartment, the Relativity Lounge, often had good music, and the VR atmosphere was always entertaining. She looked down and realized that she was still wearing her lab coat. Bath, then bar, she decided, but then thought of Ashley. 
This has been Chapter 3 of The Mother of Dark Space by Tyler McNamara. Episode 4 of Earwig Serials was brought to you by Mariba. Mariba. The Martian Rammed Earth Builders Association, who specialize in natural local construction materials harvested from the Nile Fossey Trough. Whether you're a developer designing a new construction or an owner strengthening your foundation to build higher, Mariba is the name trusted by UMARS and KNJ Labs, and the only Rammed Earth Builders who have a vested interest because they actually live in the Dome. Not sure if any of you listeners can actually afford to build in the Terra Dome, but maybe you'd consider supporting my Patreon and throwing some of that dough my way? Anywho, please consider supporting this product, as well as giving this podcast a rate and review on iTunes. Thanks. Talk to you again next week.